0: What you're about to see is
1: extremely
0: disturbing.
1: It's we'll still be able to see, but you'll see differently. Hey folks, Patrick here. Welcome to my podcast AFB Aliens for Beginners and we have hit a milestone here at AFB. That's right, we have our first official AFB guest with us here today and not just any guest. We are joined by author Tim New who has graciously agreed to come on my humble fledgling podcast to discuss his critically acclaimed first novel Tomato Fields, a story about a Bigfoot-type creature's impact on a sleepy rural community of yesteryear. Tim, welcome, and thank you so much for joining.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank
1: you, Patrick. So, you know, we've exchanged a few messages and emails, and I told you I was an English major back in uh, class of 1988, so I'm I'm dating myself here. I don't think I mentioned Uh, however, that I was actually into creative writing, and I did aspire to be an author uh, when I was young. I wrote several short stories and some poetry that was published in campus publications. Uh, I attended Washington College on Maryland's beautiful eastern shore. It was very big into writing skills at that time, and I actually studied under the late Robert Day, author of the 1977 classic, the the last cattle drive. So I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything because I had this is one of the few times that my English degree has ever you know come into play in the past 30 years or so. But my point is that I know good writing when I see it, and that's what I experienced when I read your novel. So I love the linear narrative, how it gets right into the action. It doesn't let up, and I think in many ways it's a novel for the 21st century the so folks who haven't read a novel in a few years as uh, and i fall into that category they can pick this one up and, and not want to put it down and you know we have uh, we you know we're we're used to our, our sound bites our tiktok videos instagram reels social media and uh, people just don't, they just don't read, read novels like they did anymore and I think this is one like for me. I, I literally haven't read an novel in, in several years, so I want to thank you for uh, kind of getting me back. At that. So tell us a bit about your background. What inspired you know whatever you're comfortable with. What inspired you to write the tomato write tomato fields? And you can dive right into the the incident with your brother if you want.
0: Well, let me just first say that's a huge compliment by someone that has your background to say something about my, uh, my book. I, um, anytime you do something for the first time, you know, you just don't know you, you have, you know, there's a lot of self doubt. And, um, I, I really just did this because I, I love to write And I felt like that maybe if we used nonfiction to talk about this topic, We could emotionally engage people in um, stories and characters and um, tragedies and uh, in ways that will draw them to the subject of cryptids and Bigfoot, in in this case, and maybe take it a little more seriously. So that was kind of my goal going going into this. Um, It's taken a long time to finished about 10 years. Um, and uh, my my brother, um, I, I had been thinking along those lines for quite a while, uh, pro- using fiction instead of nonfiction. And my brother uh, shared an encounter he had with this animal, <laughs> this um, creature um, in the 1990s. He just shared it with me out of nowhere uh, one day when we were together talking and I was shocked because it was a significant encounter. He, he saw it, it stared at him It screamed at him. He smelled it. He ran from it. He, um, he was scared to death, uh, watched it for a while and then watched it walk back into the forest. And, um, when he told me that story, it was kind of just the thing that kicked me off the cliff and said, go do this. And, So I just used that as kind of an inspiration. And I, uh, used the same area where he saw this creature and we, I built the story around that area from the 1970s. Uh, and I did that so I could go back before people knew the Bigfoot was a household word that it was pretty rare and that, people would really honestly be interacting with this thing for the first time with no clue about what it was, uh, except in the case of the Native American. And um, the goal was just to create a situation where there was a lot of drama and a lot of tension, and it forced people out of their comfort zones and then shared, told the story about how that affected them and how they dealt with it. the the situation. And I just think it has a lot of cool twists and turns and some interesting thought and ideas. And it was just that fiction is an opportunity to share some of that stuff without um, backing up your facts all the time and documentation, although it's very consistent with, with thousands and thousands of stories that I've read and listened to.
1: Yeah it's it's very apparent that you did some research and that you listened to quite a few stories and your brother's story reminds me of uh I think I shared shared this with you uh one of her messages was that I just I just randomly ran into a guy who said he saw Bigfoot and it's I mean just like, like 30 miles from me yeah, and I've listened to all these podcasts, and I've you know, and I've heard all these stories of of people and their experiences, but I never actually met somebody in the flesh. Yeah, who who saw, who said they saw Bigfoot, and this guy obviously believed that he saw Bigfoot, and he's yeah. like, I know what I saw. That's exactly it,
0: what Joe says.
1: And it yeah, and it was just a brief, momentary thing and uh and it was over and you know it it changed the guy's life yep. on some level it yep. changed the guy's life because what he thought was possible uh just got expanded exponentially yeah so.
0: it takes people out of their comfort zone. So. yeah
1: <laughs> so so when i so what when i i purchased your book online and i i think i put i got it from uh I think it's called bookstore.org or something. It was like a nonprofit. Uh-huh. And and it had a little bio in there. And I found it kind of interesting and relatable when I, I read that you were a teacher uh-huh. and that your students got a kick out of the fact that you were kind of into this stuff. And it's relatable to me because when I when I just got started on this podcast, and you know, I've been thinking about it for a while, you know, just not ten years, but for a while. But I just got at me my real job in the in the real world. Um, I just got uh, six new hires that report to me. Uh-huh. Uh, they're a bunch of young guys, and uh, I, I just mentioned in passing to a couple of them that I was doing this podcast, and these guys they had no knowledge or interest in the subject whatsoever. But they started listening to the podcast because I'm their boss. And they thought, <laughs> hey, let's listen to the boss's podcast. Yeah. And, you know, they got hooked. They started asking questions or asking what was next. And to me, that's a win. You know, I, I piqued someone's interest in something. So speak to your experience along those lines with, with your students.
0: Well, typically, it's just something that's kind of fun for them to laugh about. And um, I don't take it too seriously in the classroom I just uh, talk about stories once in a while and you know get opinions and share my ideas if they ask and I think they just kind of generally get a kick out of it I think they also like that I wrote a book
1: Uh, oh yeah yeah
0: and one of the the juniors um, read it and got got credit for an English assignment for doing a book report on it and he 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 genuinely liked it i think he was impressed and so that in, encouraged him i think and and some of them else some others may have be reading it. i don't know you never know with kids
1: right yeah
0: but, yeah. but um uh i just felt like it was something that i needed to follow through on you know right yep yeah. and it it's easy to have ideas it's another thing to try to make a map of oh yeah and oh, yeah. so I just did the best I could to follow through on it. And, and uh, they probably appreciate that, too. Right.
1: So tell us a bit about the setting of the novel as far as the time and the place. I, I believe it's set in the early 70s. You mentioned that you wanted to do it. Uh, you, you didn't want the Bigfoot uh, yeah. the ter- term mentioned. And I think the absence of the modern tech, it lends itself to the story. Well, you don't have to worry about accounting for smartphones and texting no. and Googling. No. Nope. It keeps it simple. And I really loved, uh, just a spoiler alert, uh, I loved how they had to wait for the pictures of uh, yeah Jack's body to develop.
0: I remember when you, t- you had to take them, and sometimes it took a couple of days. So, but, uh, yeah, that was... Um, I don't know if I did that intentionally. I think I was just using the technology of the day, um, but I um, the setting was there both for the purpose of going back before Bigfoot um, was a household type word, but also because I wanted to bring out the PTSD aspect of it um, without mentioning PTSD and the, the, the experience, the experience, the, the equivocal experience of being in war and being in the presence of this animal. (laughs) And, and I think I did that through, um, the deputy. Right. And, um, I think that some people, especially situations where the thing is at least mildly threatening, uh, they could have PTSD experiences. Um, because it's a serious thing when you're looking at this 10 foot creature that's not happy with you and uh, that you don't know any you've never seen in your life. And it gives you nightmares the rest of your life. That's kind of a serious thing. So I wanted to use the war experience and then make it equivocal to some right. So, yep. and Vietnam would have been a good time, a good time for that. Um, so That was kind of the reasons for the settings. And uh, then I used the area where my brother lives, but just went back to 1970s. The tomato fields uh, comes from uh, an area just up above his house and down the hill. Uh, And it's large acreage that they were used to dump sewage before they had a sewage plant. And they would just dump it out of sewage trucks on a regular basis. And because of the tomato, because of the seeds that are in human waste from their eating, eventually lots of vegetables grew. And Joe just referred to it kind of informally as the tomato fields because of the, the uh, he said they told him there was a lot of ripe tomatoes and that would be, he thought that would be a good name for the book and I just, it, it just stuck with me. Um, so I kept it and tested it out. A few, some people didn't didn't really get it. The black and white people don't really get it. The black and white thinkers in, right away, but the artistic people get it right away. Right. They like it. Right. So I just stuck with it, and 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 I think, um, you know, I think it's going to work out well. Um, so. so-, so- Anyway, that's right. what, and the, that place became, obviously, because of all the vegetables, the vegetation, it was an eating grounds for lots of animals, not just, not just Bigfoot. But Joe thinks it was, turn, when it turned around and walked away from him, he thinks it was heading back down toward that area. And without right. saying too much about the book, it does become a kind of a central part of the book. Right. Along with Joe's house. Which is the actual address of Joe's house? Is in that book, where um, she lives, where Missus Cole lives. So I kind of
1: I saw that the uh, tomato fields is kind of metaphorical—that a a place that's designated to the the dumping of of uh, human waste, uh, you know, becoming this uh, flourishing. Area that's nourishing to animals, and it's uh, you know a, a place where this revered creature, this Bigfoot creature, hangs out. And um, speak to that a bit. Is that
0: something that was in the back of your mind? Well, I I like the idea of the beauty of the the trees and the green and the vegetables and the tomatoes contrasted against the evergreen trees and pine trees, which are just gorgeous Um, and just getting lost in it. And then suddenly being drawn into the, the presence of something that scares you and that gives you that's tension and, um, and then trying to, reconcile those two <laughs> senses, one that you just lost in the beauty of nature and the other one you're just you're kind of in dread. <laughs> you have this silent dread that you can't figure out, but nothing, but it just is, seems very real to you. And to have those two contrasting each other and trying to reconcile, I, I think I tried to bring that out.
1: And that that dread that you mentioned is, uh, I, that that's something that you hear about frequently. Um, yeah. Not not only in, in Bigfoot encounters, but but also UFO encounters, alien abduction yep. type scenarios. Yep. You hear about this this dread. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah,
0: some people so, think it might be like what they call infrasound in animals. Right. And I understand like a tiger has it and they make their prey scared before. And somewhat incapacitate them. Right. I don't know. It could be. It uh, definitely happens. Uh, they seem to project it on people. Uh, they seem to be more afraid than you can imagine being afraid of something that's that fearful. <laughs>
1: right. But it right.
0: seems to exceed that almost to the point sometimes people are incapacitated or they get ill and they have to lay down. I mean, just things that are unusual so right whether that's just the natural fear of seeing something that crazy uh, or there really is some kind of projection fear i tend to think it's projected because people feel it sometimes without seeing it and in the well, you case, know in the case of the beginning of the book that's what that's what right
1: happening. right I, I i i recently recorded uh it hasn't been released yet, but an episode on Skinwalker Ranch, you know, and I went back to uh, the, the experiences of the Shermans, who were the people who owned the ranch before the Bigelow, and yeah. I don't know how familiar you are with the, yeah, with I, the Skinwalker I'm Ranch. Yeah, I'm
0: fairly familiar, but not not by any means an expert. Well, I've just toyed with it.
1: These the owners, the the Shermans, they experience this dread like all the time, mm-hmm. and and they encountered some these blue orbs that would fly around obviously under some kind of intelligent control. Uh but these orbs would approach them and actually fill them with this fear. So it, it could actually like change their emotions and and cause their knees to buckle and 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 uh, to me it was it wasn't it, it's like you say it wasn't the sight of the orb. The orb in itself wasn't scary, but it had this ability to to generate this, uh, emotional change. And like you say, it may be a frequency or maybe who, know, who knows. Um,
0: know. there's a so, lot of uh, victory in this stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, there it's, is. Yeah. If someone says they, they know for sure. I just, I question that.
1: Yeah. And I don't know, but no. Uh, so I'll uh, talk about Mrs. Cole for a minute. I, I, uh, uh, she calls, uh, the sheriff because her, her pig had mis- uh, mysteriously disappeared. Her her dog, a Rottweiler, is acting weird, uncharacteristically afraid. Uh, Deputy Brown is dispatched, encounters Mrs. Cole clutching her her double-barrel 12-gauge. And she seems to understand that something is very amiss. So at this point, they haven't seen the creature. They don't know anything about it. And I love this statement that she makes when Sheriff Buckland arrives and, and tells her there's a logical explanation. She replies, it's not a problem of logic, Sheriff. It's a manageability problem. This challenge is beyond you. It's bigger than us. So I love that, that quote. Speak to that statement for a minute. How does that apply not only to this Bigfoot question, but to, you know, other esoteric questions that we face?
0: Well, um, I'd like to add one other quick, I think Deputy Brown Says to the sheriff, and it responds a similar response by Buckland that there's a logical. And he said, "If there's a logical answer to this, you probably don't want to have." Find <laughs> <it."> <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So at, that was after his experience by himself in the woods. So right. Um, but uh, I do think that there was some in, intuition on her part that she realized she was up all night scared to death and her dog was hiding under, you know, uh, the dog that's never scared of anything is hiding and um, that there's something going on. She sensed something that had never been sensed there. She'd lived there probably most of her life. And um, so I think she was just saying, Sheriff, you better open your eyes and wake up here because you're not dealing with a typical lost animal. Right. Um, and, and, uh, it does, I think we do, there are things in our life, there are challenges in our life that do demand that we go beyond ourselves and we learn how to trust, uh, maybe trust God a little bit and not, um, try to do the best we can, but not out of fear, but, and, and just Trust that there's something bigger, and use our intuition and try to try to resolve it in ways that maybe um, go against or 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 expand on how we would normally look at things.
1: Right. So, talk about uh, Sheriff Buckland. Is is he based off anyone you know? So he kind he reminds me a bit of myself. So in my day job, I got about twenty people who report to me, and I find I got to use the skills. (laughs) that Buckland portrays, you know, to manage them effectively. And, and I got to do this delicate dance and then the people you're managing, the people you're responsible for, they're oblivious to what, you know, to what you're, what you're doing. And, 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 uh, nevertheless, you just keep, you just keep plugging along and doing what you need to do. So, uh, and we kind of get back to the manage, manageability issue. Let's talk about, uh, Sheriff Buckland for a well, minute.
0: I, I, uh, I probably see a little bit of myself in him, too, because I've been an a education and a, uh, administrator and manager and have numerous people reporting and trying to keep everybody from getting along. <laughs> and uh, uh, there, there is a lot of that in small towns, and the sheriff has to be real rational and calm and not jump to conclusions. And that really was a characteristic of him that was admired. And so he's much more of that than I am. But, um, but probably a little bit of that was me. And the rest of it was just an effort to have a character that really depended on logic and reason to be pushed beyond that logic and reason uh, and who was a trustworthy character that people could relate to. Right. And, uh, the deputy's kind of the opposite in a way. And he is more in more going by the gut and getting upset that people are taking advantage of Buckland being nice, that kind of attitude. And he needs to be be stronger with people. And, and, um, I've experienced that in my life as an administrator where I will be, try to be real, uh, logical and calm and deal with things, issues that come up in a proactive way, in a careful way. Right. I can tell other people are thinking, why can't you just deal with this? Why can't exactly. you just take care yeah. of this person? I mean, and yep. they see it in a very simple this is the problem, that's the, that's the, Problem causer and get rid of them. You know that right. kind of an attitude. Well, you know you can't do that because there's a lot more at stake and there's a lot more involved, and so you have to take a little bit of their consternation. And there's, there's a, a little bit of that in the book. So
1: there's a bigger picture. That, yeah,
0: there's a bigger picture. They don't
1: see. Yeah.
0: Not always as easy as people think. Right. Although sometimes it is, but not. But usually it's not.
1: And then you've got. And then you got bear uh in the mix there kind of the, the mystical the, the 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 sage or whatever the the native yeah. american character yeah. and then he he throws another element in there um that's entirely different from the deputy and, and bucklin and mrs cole yeah
0: but
1: talk about Bear for a minute
0: well I, I just love i just have a real kind of draw to native american people i i am a little bit I have a little native, I think it's Apache, uh, in, uh, and I, I just have a, I appreciate, I've studied history and I know some of the tragedies they've gone through. So I was kind of hoping the, the a Native American character that everybody could relate to and uh, looked up to could uh, force people out of their Western mindset of, Cause and effect, and <laughs> having everything figured out, and uh, controlling everything, and 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 challenge that, and then have the animal pretty much um, accommodate him
1: <laughs> and right.
0: pr- prove his his ideas. And the big thing was him and that guy named Stone. And I don't want to go into the details and ruin it for anybody, but right, right. the. I just also wanted to use him in the book to bring out the arguments and deal with the arguments that people often have and off and, and deal with it in a way that, um, kind of close, just seals it, you know, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but, but without trying to win an argument, just trying to, to, um, uh get people to think consider something for their own best interest uh, that that might contrast with what they believe to be true, right. And that maybe we all need to just do that and quit trying to figure everything out all the time. Right And I think too too much we try to have everything figured out and all the balls in the right box and and a lot of that is fantasy.
1: Right. So very early in the book, I began to be reminded of the movie Jaws. Uh, Has anyone ever brought this up to you before? And is this movie an influence? And I did see Jaws in 1975
0: in a drive-in
1: with my family when I was 10 years old and it scared the bejesus out of me
0: oh it's so scary (laughs) my brothers and i were we went to it i think i was about 14 12 or 14 i can't remember but i we we went to it over and over and over eight or ten times we got to the point where we could sit on the balcony we knew exactly when all the popcorn was going to fly and so i love that movie and that movie i thought about that movie when i was writing this book because i knew i needed to have something that grabbed people's attention and then kept it. And the, and Jaws did that. I think Jaws did that in an amazing way.
1: Oh, it definitely did.
0: Just still. I watched it a couple years ago and it was just great. I kept thinking, this is a great movie. (laughs) So, uh, yes, it did inspire me. And you're the first person that said that I really encouraged me when you said that, because the movie, um, played a big role it's kind of like jaws on, on on in the forest
1: yeah exactly
0: yeah and that was the point and you i think people can go a lot of different ways with this just like with the shark they can hate the shark they can be scared of the shark they can feel sorry for the shark i think you can with this animal too
1: yeah yeah you're exactly right um and, and there's a sense even early on in the book that the the creature is oddly out of place like it just kind of showed up there unexpectedly like the shark just like just showed up in this place i mean it's water it's a you know it's a shark it lives in water but it's not really supposed to be there and uh like this this creature just kind of out of nowhere you know showing up and and then you know you find out a little bit later on why it may why it may have showed up and why it might be doing what it's doing.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And uh, but uh, yeah very similar to uh to Jaws and that movie uh if I'm if I'm sitting and I'm I'm channel surfing on the cable channels and Jaws is on, that's where I'm stopping. And my wife is like, are you watching Jaws again? I'm yeah. like it's on it's on. It's on and I'm not
0: doing anything and I'm watching Jaws. <laughs> I would do the two it's a great movie. I just never get, and even the shark, even today's standards of technology, it, it looks a little hokey. Right, right. But not a lot, but a little. But still, it's just the movie, the brilliant. They just did a brilliant job.
1: And then you get into the whole thing with the, uh, Buckland's got to talk about maybe Claire's in the park and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. I, that was just awesome. Uh, so
0: the goal was just to make some tension and drama. Yeah, yep yeah
1: so so you so as far as the creature um the bigfoot that you don't call a bigfoot in the book uh, but you you check all the bigfoot boxes you got the size and the strength the smell the stealthiness the intelligence the behavior like the throwing of rocks and other objects even the the psychic communication of thoughts and emotions so it it seems like you've done a, a lot of research and Speak for a moment on, you know, the extent of your research and, and, you know, what you've found and what you've learned about this creature.
0: Well, I just read stories and listen to stories all the time. And even even I've listened to thousands of them and I'm still fascinated. And if I hear one, I want to hear it again. I mean, I want to hear it. If someone says something, then it's been something that's fascinated me since I was a a kid and I saw the movie uh, Legend of Boggy Creek. And that movie just got my attention. And I thought, wow, that thing's amazing. And I just kind of tended to believe it was true. So in the last 20 years or so, I've really started studying it more from like a historical standpoint and a research standpoint. And um, so I've done a lot of research and the characteristics that I bring out are the characteristics that just are commonly discussed in these, not every one of them says the same thing, but if you look at all of them in totality, these are the types of characteristics that come out. And these are the kind of things that the animal does in encounters with people. Right. Right. And so I wanted to bring those out um, in a one story. So it kind of, in an exaggerated way, it pulls people into this conflict and this drama and then demonstrates these things, these mysterious things that these animals are said to be doing. Right.
1: So we get into the. Uh, I don't know, I'm not going to get too much away, but so we get into the the telecommunication piece. So Tom, Mrs. Mrs. Cole's son, uh, he has a, a really strong reason to hate this creature. Right. But but for some reason, uh, this creature is able to, and I, I assume chooses to communicate with him telepathically. Yeah, And um, so this is uh, the, the telepathic communication. It, it's something that we've, we run into in Bigfoot encounters. It's also something that we run into and in, uh, you know, extraterrestri- extraterrestrial encounters, abductions and experiencers and, and whatnot. All of these creatures uh, seem to, to, to be able to and choose to communicate telepathically, talk about that for a minute.
0: Well, I think we used to do it more. Yep. And I think the reason we don't is because of tools of fire, of our access to control light, things that we used to have to depend on telepathy and uh, a sense of a presence of what's going on around us without being able to see it. And um, and then we've lost that to some degree because of technology and tools that they never developed. And so I think that we are, and, and if, if you look at men and women, they call it women's intuition, but it's really just its form of telepathy that they still re- retain. And I think it's partially because they're more vulnerable. Men tend to be less vulnerable. And so women are much more sensitive to potential threats around them and the thoughts of other people. And I think they can communicate sometimes without talking to each other more right. than a man, m- men might do. And, but I think we used to do it in historically, maybe thousands of years ago in it more. Okay. And, um, these animals just never learned not to do it. They never were in a situation where they didn't have to depend on it. So I kind of wonder if that's the reason for it. I also mm-hmm. think our, our tools, especially firearms, I think before firearms, the interaction between people and these animals was more often, happened more often. But firearms kind of became an equalizer for humans in, in, a, in a conflict of any kind with them. And I think that's why we see them less. Po- possibly why we see them less. I can only guess on some of these things.
1: Right, right. And the and that kind of ties in with the the Native American piece as far as the the closeness to nature and the you know the, the dependence on intuition and. Uh, you know, vibes or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. So, so the the creature has the ability to affect the entire environment and quieting the wild filling people with this dread, a feeling of being watched, and do you, and, and also this the smell, the stench, and the roars. So, do you, do you feel like these are all defense mechanisms or? something that the creature just naturally generates or both for example the stench um when you talked about your brother's experience like he he said he could smell it right
0: right and he was
1: what what like 70 50 yards away from it
0: 70 yards away
1: and i'm just wondering like how bad could that thing smell (laughs) if it was that far away
0: my guess (laughs) is the wind was coming at its back Uh, And it knew the wind was at its back going down the hill. And there's some that they project that smell or they are able to use their glands for the purpose of warning people. And my guess is he came out of the forest and was going to head down the hill for some water. And he was as surprised by Joe as Joe was by him. And he saw Joe long before Joe saw him. I will long. I, You know, I don't know. That's a relative term, but I think he saw him first and he was, he surprised him and he was, Joe was in his way. And so then Joe started looking around and then they made eye contact and he, uh... and that's when he screamed at him. And I think the screaming is definitely some kind of warning. Certainly was in that case. Like, get out of here. You really, or he could just be angry. This, you ruined my day. I'm thirsty, you know? And, uh, so, and he, so Joe ran in, so it scared him off. And that's probably what it's designed to do. It may also be some kind of authority ritual when they're establishing themselves in a mating situation. Um, but, it's definitely also a defense mechanism or maybe even an aggressive mechanism and then uh, the what well, you said the sound and the oh the the infrasound, infrasound maybe that's what it is or the ability to oh to cause everything to get silent i don't know i just i wonder if that happens when a lion's walking through the jungle right i don't know right I can imagine it happening though. And these things right. are the king of the forest, folks. If if these exist,
1: oh, oh yeah.
0: They are the king. <laughs> oh, they yeah. are the king of the forest. And don't don't fool yourself. If they don't exist, no biggie. But I think they do. <laughs> yeah. I'm and you pretty might want to sure at least consider do. the possibility while you're out there.
1: You're right. I'm pretty sure that uh, pretty certain that they do.
0: Yeah. And so um, if they do, they're nothing that we know, understand, because they're not in a zoo. If they were, we'd be in a zoo. So there's some kind of prevalent mystery re- regarding them. And it'd be better to learn to live with it and then to ignore it or fight it.
1: And and that seems to be exactly what uh, the Native Americans did. As, yep. as Bear explained, he's like... Uh... And just to quote him, he says, "Sheriff, some things are meant to be accepted without being understood." That's right. So life is sometimes life is bigger sometimes than what we can see or understand. So the, they sit, the, the Native Americans seem to have, uh, you know, it struck this balance where okay, we know this thing is out there, uh, we know how serious it is, and we're we got to just kind of coexist with it. And they did have you know, some negative experiences with it, but they kind of understood their limitations and, you know, life goes on.
0: Right. And some of them, some of the tribes had very negative experiences with them and, and called them like like the equivalent, I suppose, in native language of a demon. Right. Some of them just thought they were another tribe in the, uh, the a different tribe that they just, showed respect toward, so there was tribes there's a lot of different various opinions of the degree of danger and the, the, the general nature of the animal so that's also interesting it makes me wonder if they don't change from region to region maybe similar to how people are
1: right well I, I like the way that bear doesn't uh, they, he, gives, he gives them a, a name of stickman but they don't seem to try to figure out what it is they no. It's just that it is. they don't try to say well it's a it's a demon, it's this, it's that, it's the other we we don't know what you know we don't know what it is, but we know and uh so that's uh, seems another like a good goal, balance.
0: another goal for me was to allow people to come into this with their beliefs about what it is and leave with their beliefs about what it is. Right. Because I didn't want to take I wanted to leave room for all of those things to possibly be true or none of them to be true. Um, in total, at least. And I hope I I hope I was able to do that.
1: And uh, and Mrs. Cole. Uh, she eventually convinces Tom that, you know, you can't outthink the creature that you have to go with your gut and, and quote unquote. Out feel it, and, and at some point she recognizes it gives off an energy, and she comes to kind of she's she, she's she's kind of grasping the, you know, the concept of that's close to what the Native Americans kind of grasp that this isn't something you can deal with with logic or, or you, you're not going to outthink it, you're not going to outsmart it. There's there if you're gonna if you're gonna try to beat it. <laughs> You're going to have to do it a different way.
0: Yeah, this thing isn't going to be, it's just, you're not going to catch it. It's going to have to come to you for some reason. And, um, and you're going to have to feel, I think you have to feel them. Right. (laughs) I just think that's probably true. And I've never been close to one. So I can't tell you certainty any of that, but my, Gut, for lack of a better term, says that um, you would feel them before you would see them. Right. And that might be what you have to consider if, if you have to find them. So anyway, and plus he was having some struggles, personal struggles too, that some intuition and humility would have done, helped him overcome. Right. And it just worked out with, in the situation
1: now uh the the creature seems to have uh, an affinity with uh, Tom's young daughter, Carly, and at some point uh it it throws a uh, gruesomely mangled fawn up on Tom's porch, and Bear uh, eventually he comes to the unlikely conclusion that it may have been a gift for Carly. <laughs> Yeah. And we kind of we hit upon the idea that the creature it's not thinking like we think. So you know we think we see a creature throw a mangled deer up on our porch, and we we last thing we're going to think is that this is a gift for somebody. And uh, I I brought I bring this up, and I see this all the time in uh, the the alien scenarios and people's inca- experiencers encounters, and and it, I, I think that perhaps their their way of thinking is so confusing to humans that we just don't you know we 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 have to we're thinking like a human uh but we need to think like like this creature
0: well i was i've heard at least two and possibly three stories of uh people with guns who killed these animals okay and when the when they tell their story, it's it's kind of a heartbreaking because right. I see what the animals are doing. They tell clearly what the animals are doing, like they're opening their mouth and showing their teeth, or making funny noises, and or lifting their arms. And I'm thinking, this may just be a way of communicating for them. They may not be being aggressive at all, but. Because of the fear involved and the the immensity of the creature and the the first time shock of seeing it, the people see it as as a a threat and kill it. Right, and it just is a little. It's sad. Yeah, yeah. There are other times they're very much a threat.
1: Okay. Right,
0: right. And you should you should kill them if you if it comes down to between you and them. So again, I don't know. I'm not trying to say that that's never necessary. Right. But, but I think often we misunderstand them and do harm to them, and often they misunderstand us and do harm to us. Right. And, uh, or there, they we just run into a bad one, and there's some bad ones, and just like there's bad people. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So there's also I hear stories of them picking children up and taking them back to their cabin or their tents. So. It's just uh, it's just a very uh, complex kaleidoscope of of attributes that these things seem to have. Very human like. Right. So I want to get to we get to a, a a
1: piece where it becomes clear that the the this is really interesting to me that the creature mimicked Tom's voice to call Carly. It's Tom's daughter and this gets to a whole other level as they say so this is something that I've run into uh, in like haunting scenarios um, alien type scenarios but I've never heard of Bigfoot having this ability is this something that you've run across in your research?
0: Oh yeah, I've heard multiple stories of that. Wow, I- um... I've never heard it. And Indians taught or Native Americans taught that um, they mimicked uh, for the purpose of either drawing you to them. Some people think it's to draw you to them. Uh, so for whatever reason, could be as prey. It could be just because they think it's funny. But right. yes, they have vocal capacities to be able to mimic. In some cases, they do. so. Again, those are just stories I've heard. And, right. uh the, the natives did warn their children not to go <laughs> into the woods. Wow. Okay. And wh- some of their stories were surrounded. The, the way they kept kids from going into the woods and getting lost was that the, these things were out there. Wow. So, but again, they're, they're anecdotal. Okay. Right. You don't right. have proof. You just right. hear stories, even though most histories to some degree are organically are stories that we pass down.
1: Right.
0: Um, so. I look at these stories since there's millions of them, literally millions of them, and they come from all over the world, from different cultures, different languages, different ethnic groups, different religious groups. And they. R- report seen very much the same thing you could not you could not make that happen right there's too much smoke for there not to be fire right we don't know what the fire is yet and i think it's probably i think that it's it's part of a mystery of what the universe is and the universe that we live in is because i think the bigfoot mystery is a small microcosm of a macro mystery about the reality of life in the universe right and our role our real role here not our imagined role here right uh, the, our earth centric role is feeble and there is a much life and diversity out there and who knows how many times some of that life has come here right visited, or is still coming and visiting And maybe this creature is not from here. Maybe it just was transplanted here. Someone got tired of it. We got to get rid of these things, (laughs) and dropped them off once. I don't know. I just wonder because they do things that don't seem to be consistent with the physics of this planet.
1: Yeah, and then you know, we there are a lot of cases where they're seen in conjunction with strange lights in the sky, orbs. Yeah, I've I've read encounters of. I think in uh some of, uh, one of Carla Turner's books um uh, an abduction scenario where there were various types of creatures and one of them was a big a bigfoot type creature hanging out with the greys and
0: <laughs>
1: yeah the and the nordics and all those guys
0: uh-huh.
1: and uh I I I know that I've I've read or heard an at least one of a bigfoot type creature like holding a ball of light in its hand or, or balancing a ball of light in its hand. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, who knows? Who knows?
0: I don't know. I've started the sequel now and I'm going to try oh. to bring in more things than just, I'm going to try to bring in a couple more paranormal things into it. Right. So,
1: so t- uh, the t- Tom, Tom is a, he's an interesting character and, so as the plan to kill the creature unfolds, he, Tom, he's, find, he, he's finding himself torn, and um, he's, he feels that the creature is more than a mindless killing machine, in addition to feeling a, a certain connection with it stemming possibly from a, a shared sense of loss, and, and talk about that for a minute, like what the creature's uh, loneliness and, and how it connected him with Tom.
0: Well, Tom had a loss in his life, that left him lonely. And if this, if it's true about what Bear says that this animal had been an alpha male that had been dethroned and put out of the camp or the tribe, then it was suddenly alone, even though it had been used to being the center of attention. And now it was alone um, and had to fend for itself. And, so uh, that's one of the theories about what's going on so that could have been that they developed some kind of psychic bond because of shared uh loneliness maybe and um i i um i didn't answer that definitively i didn't want to but I, I made that as a possibility. I mean, people can go anywhere they want in some of these things, but um, uh, I thought it was kind of cool that there could be that psychic connection with each other and realization that they were right. kind of in the same boat. So yeah, yeah. that that's kind of how I'd probably answer that. Gotcha.
1: So I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna touch on like the end of the book. Um, but uh, finally, speak speak to the idea that the creatures' crisis, uh, and hence everyone involves crisis, resulted from a, a social disconnect at least in the creatures' world—a breakdown of of the that particular being's connections with its own its own people. And how is that a possible metaphor for what we might see happening in our own? or in modern society with a, a breakdown of
0: connections. Well, uh, as I thought about your question, that's a really good question. I started seeing a lot of different possibilities. The animal was, had been disconnected from his social network, but the animal himself and the threat that he posed disconnected others from theirs. Exactly. Because, yeah. Because they had to deal with this. <laughs> and they they had a, a a community to protect or a job to do or a reputation to keep or i mean and and their normal social relationships with each other and the community didn't were suddenly stressed and strained so yeah that it was kind of that happened to everybody and i i didn't i didn't honestly write it to to demonstrate that happening in our society but it's certainly happening in our society
1: um, kind of a domino a
0: domino effect
1: kind yeah of there is a yeah.
0: domino effect and, and fear does cause us to go into the survival mode and then divide and mm-hmm. separate and it alienates each other and so yes that's certainly happening and it mm-hmm. did happen to a degree in the book, but I can't honestly say I intended to make a connection.
1: Well, you know, things that come out in good writing, they don't always come out through intention. They just kind of come out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's not that you intended it, but it's uh, nevertheless, it, it's there. Um, so uh, we're coming up on an hour and wrap it up. Is there anything, like any final thoughts you want to add? On, uh, the, on the book? Uh,
0: no, I'm uh, trying to think here. I don't want to say anything about the end. I want to let me, you, no, me neither. <laughs> be able to come to that and see that. But um, I would just say that this is a, I think that these types of mysteries, we really need to consider them and not just discount them. And if, if there's any lesson in this book, I hope it's don't discount things you don't understand.
1: Right.
0: And it's really important for us to um, be open to things that might transcend or impose upon our beliefs about reality because they're often wrong.
1: <laughs> right.
0: And if we're not willing to let let these mysteries take their place and and you we're just not going to live as full a life and maybe as safe a life as we could. Right. So, I don't that that's important to me. So, where can uh where can folks find your book? Where can it's, folks keep track of what you're doing? And it's it's on Amazon now uh if you if you just put uh Uh, tomato fields and my name Tim moon, and it's the moon in the sky. I'll send you all that information for the, the podcast notes, but you just put that into Amazon. It'll come right up and, uh, it's available on Kindle or paperback or, uh, the Kindle university. So you can read it if you have a, a membership. And, um, if you do read it and you, and, uh, you would be open to leaving a honest review for me. Those are real helpful. I'd sure appreciate that. And um, I hope you do read it and I hope you do like it. So, but that's how you get to it. Uh, That's the only place it's on now is Amazon exclusive right now to Amazon. At some point I might expand it. I'm also looking into doing an audio book.
1: Do you have a time frame on the sequel? Well,
0: I would like to look for that. Um, maybe around christmas
1: awesome
0: that's what i'm shooting for
1: all right well i'll be looking forward to it and and then uh maybe come back on we can talk about that one
0: yeah and when i do that one my hope would be that i would be able to do the audiobook and the 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 written book and release them both at the same time i couldn't do that for financial reasons this time Gotcha. Okay.
1: All right, Tim. So, that's it's been a it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: It's it oh, Can been I awesome. just say one more thing? Yeah. You uh, you also asked if you you can either follow me on Amazon or you can link to my um, email, which you will see in the book. It's a there's a page in the book that shows you how to do it with a little link and then you can sign up for the email list and then I'll send everything out to you as things happen sweet okay
1: all right man thank you so much okay
0: well thank you uh, I really appreciate all your analysis and insights you really of all the podcasters I've been with you have been the, the most astute I think in terms of as a writer um, most of them are interested in the story in Bigfoot but you the what you bring in as a writer really, was impressive. So I appreciate that. And I wanted to thank you.
1: Uh, Well, I appreciate that.
0: All right. Take care, Tim. Okay. Take care. We'll see you later.
1: The aliens for beginners podcast is written and produced by Patrick Roy. Editing was done by MGR productions. If you have questions, insights, or alien encounters of your own to share, please email us at aliensforbeginnerspod at gmail.com. Also be sure to follow us on Instagram at aliensforbeginnerspod. Thank you for listening.